Welcome to Culture Matters, my podcast where we dive into the many facets of organizational culture. I'm your host, Subhu Kalpati. I'm a learning leadership and organizational development professional. Understanding organizational culture has become increasingly important in today's rapidly changing world of work. Culture can impact everything from employee engagement, productivity, and leadership development. I'm super excited to have T.N. Hari as our guest today. Hari has had a trailblazing career as part of the leadership team at five high-growth startups. You'll learn more about Hari as we dive into this episode. In this freewheeling conversation, we discuss organizational culture in the context of startups. You are in for a real treat. Hari, welcome to the podcast. Thank you, Subhu. Thank you for having me. Um, so, Hari, uh, you know, a place that I would love to start this uh, conversation with you is um, your own background. Um, I know we've known each other for a while now. Um, and, uh, you know, even in the last eight or so years that I've known you, um, your, uh, you know, your professional career has transformed in so many ways in, in leaps and bounds, I would say. Um, right. So that's that's where I would love to start. Um, you've, you've worked with large organizations like Daksh and you've also uh, mentored and you have helped scale organizations like Taxi Fisher, Big Basket. Um, right. So you've worked with startups, you've helped them scale. And you've also worked uh, earlier in your career, we also worked with larger organizations. And of course, now you are, you know, co-founder of Artha School of Entrepreneurship. Um, you've authored, I think, seven books so far. Um, and you're on the board of several organizations. You advise startups yourselves. You're also, um, you know, uh, an angel investor. Um, so it, it's almost like, uh, you know, I feel like you've done so much in so little time. So I wanted to uh, maybe start there and ask you, how do you, looking back, how do you view your career and how did you get to where you are today? I think that will be a great place for us to start. Great. Um, I don't know whether it's uh, about so much and so little time or whatever, but uh, I'll share some insights with you about my career. So I think there have been a few turning points in my career. So I began my career with uh, Tata Steel as a, an engineer, mechanical engineer on the shop floor, worked there for 11 years. And the first turning point came when I moved into the area of human capital. In large organizations, um, you tend to rotate across functions and the functions you get into depend upon the needs of the company as well. So at that point of time, post-liberalization, Tata Steel was going through a bit of an existential crisis and the company had to you know, reinvent itself totally. So the company took uh, the help of McKinsey in terms of thinking about its business strategy. I was part of the core team from the company that worked with McKinsey closely. And a large part of this was about, um, you know, getting the culture right, getting rid of the concept of lifelong employment, right-sizing the workforce, creating, you know, business units that increase accountability, getting younger people who are competent into, you know, positions of impact. So all of that was involved as part of the project. So I realized at that point that human capital could be very, uh, you know, strategic in a company that is transforming rapidly. And um, startups are continuously transforming. And my next big turning point was when I moved into the world of startups from Tata Steel. And the last 20, 21 years, I think I've been with a, a string of uh, high growth startups. All of them found successful exits. Three of them went on to become unicorns. One of them actually we listed on NASDAQ, which was Virtuser. So it was exciting last uh, 20 odd years uh, with a string of high growth startups. And in the last seven years, within those 20 years, I think um, there has been another turning point, which is I began engaging the ecosystem very extensively. Prior to that, I was you know, entirely focused um, on working for the company and helping the company that I was working for you know, scale and grow. But the last seven years has been very different, focused on the external ecosystem. 
Big Basket was, you know, very kind to allow me to do that. And I was able to, you know, gather my insights um, rapidly, write uh, seven books in seven years, um, associated myself with a couple of um, venture capital firms, one early stage, one growth stage, um, and involved very deeply in their uh, decision-making processes. So that has been pretty exciting. And uh, also in the last uh, couple of years, um, I've decided to, you know, play a bold role in companies whose missions I completely relate to and am aligned with. So I'm there as well. And um, the last eight months, we've started this Artha School for Entrepreneurship, where we thought we can, you know, bring the collective abilities of a few people who are passionate about giving back and helping younger founders, you know, scale their journeys and avoid pitfalls that many of us um, committed or errors that many of us committed. So that's broadly about me. Thanks, Harry. Thanks for... Um, you know, putting that so succinctly and yet uh, touching upon so many different aspects of what you've done so far. So thanks for that. Uh, you know, I would like to shift um, to our topic for today, uh, Hari, and which is culture and that culture matters, and specifically organizational culture. Um, so from the perspective of culture, given your experience of, you know, having uh, not just worked in all of these different organizations, but now also mentoring so many different founders, um, uh, you know, firsthand and also, uh, you know, working with VCs, as you mentioned, um, what are some of the big insights that you have gained about um, culture so far, right? So if, if there have been any aha moments that you might want to share with us, maybe we'll start there and then I will um, get into some specifics. I think, first of all, I think a lot of people intuitively understand what culture is, but uh, don't really get the specifics or don't understand it deeply enough to make it work for them. So they have a vague understanding of culture. And to me, a vague understanding is actually sometimes more dangerous than not having an understanding at all. So I think uh, many of the founders need to get to a stage where they understand culture deeply enough to make it work for them. So I think that's been an aha moment and several other aha moments, which is that, you know, there's really no right or wrong culture. Most of us, you know, tend to define culture in our own way. And I think the only way to define culture is through the strengths of an organization. For example, if you take uh, an analogy of individuals, you have to define an individual's identity by that individual's strengths and not by what the individual is not good at. So, for example, if you talk of an amazing actor, the identity comes from amazing acting skills. And not uh, by saying, you know, this person hasn't graduated, that is, isn't even a graduate, for instance. That's not the identity. Education is not the identity of an actor. So I think it's very important for companies to therefore define culture around their core strengths and what they're good at. You can't say that this company is poor in terms of execution. Its culture of execution is bad. So you're defining that company's culture in terms of what it is not good at. So that's not the way to define culture. Then you will never, you know, get it right. So like uh, you define your own identity as, you know, what you're really good at. What is it that you can do better than most people in this world? And most people in this world is probably an exaggeration. But what is it that you can do really, really well? Hmm. And that becomes your identity. You cannot define your identity by what you're not good at. The same thing is true with companies as well. They need to define their identities by what is real, what they're really good at. And that, I think, in some ways um, defines the culture. And at the end of it, you know, um, for most organizations, their identity is their culture and there is no therefore right or wrong culture. When it comes to individuals, we say, we don't say, for example, that somebody who is outgoing and loves meeting people is not as good as uh, someone who is good at number crunching. They're just two different individuals who come with two different strengths. Yeah. And um, each of them is destined to succeed in this world. And similarly uh, is the case with companies as well. Companies can have different uh, 
you know, strengths. But uh, your culture needs to be defined by your core strengths. A related, um, you know, point that I would like to bring up, and this is uh, also in relation to the book that you wrote with Sanjeev Agarwal called uh, "Pony to Unicorn" and how startups can scale well. Um, you've you've spoken about uh, the nine determinants of scale, and one of them is obviously culture. Um, so, uh, and you know, what I would like to ask you, Hari, is in relation to some of the other conditions of uh, uh, you know that enable scale for organizations like for instance you've you've mentioned strategic choices or even uh, founder ambition for instance um, right so how does culture play uh, play out in relation to some of these other determinants of scale so for example uh, founder ambition so if if a founder is ambitious um, you know that it, it can tip over in either ways it, it can go well uh, or it can also not go well for example you know we saw with uber the extremes of founder ambition and how that um, you know how uber got caught up and now we've have we've seen a full management change at uber that's just one example that you also mentioned in the book uh, so in relation to some of these other determinants of scale um, hari what role does culture play and how do you see that in conjunction so subu culture is inextricably linked to all the other elements of scaling whether it's about making the right strategic choices or whether it's about founder ambition so if you just look at some of the startups around us if you just for example take a company like big basket uh, or an ola or a zomato or swiggy each of them was led by ambitious founders and ambitious in their own way but the culture of the organization and the inherent personalities of the individuals determined how the culture manifested itself sorry how the ambition manifested itself so for example at big basket the ambition was about creating a very high performing organization which is about uh, you know having a deep focus on customers and you know hunkering down and building a very very customer centric organization very strong on execution and very strong on customer centricity very little pr very little you know marketing involved so execution and customer centricity defined uh, what um, you know uh, Uh, big basket is and was so ambition manifested itself that way if you look at swiggy for example swiggy made the choice of operational excellence they figured out that customer experience can be created by having you know good supply of riders on the roads and having them well trained putting in place very strong processes creating the entire last mile delivery mechanism in such a way that customers would be delighted so that was their way of you know creating customer delight because that's the personality or the culture of the organization where whereas zomato was very very focused on creating marketing campaigns so their entire you know focus on creating customer awareness and interest was through uh, marketing campaigns i, I mean uh, many of the marketing campaigns actually ended up backfiring so it's a high risk choice but they made that high risk choice so ola for example was a single founder led company almost it was my way or the highway for instance and very few you know very a few good people or competent folks would want to ever work for a company like ola but that was the style of the founder and it seemed to work for ola at least you know in the short term it worked for the company so ambition there manifested itself in a very different way which is we need to move very fast and to move very fast we need to have quick decisions and quick decisions can be taken if i take the decisions and i don't necessarily have people questioning me about them so i think uh, you know founder ambition manifests itself in different ways based on the personality of the founder and the culture of the company at the end of the day culture of the company also is derived from the personality of the founder itself and similarly when it comes to making you know strategic choices 
what kind of things that you do what kind of things you don't do and you know the commitment to doing a set of things uh, the focus on you know growth and profitability simultaneously versus only growth all that again comes from personality and culture for example at a company like big basket this company would never try anything new be the first one to try anything new it was a conservative company which uh, focused on you know doing what it did really well and did not want to you know shake up things or you know try anything which could put the business at risk but some other companies you know would try new things fail past multiple times so the strategic choices that each made comes from the life experiences of these founders their backgrounds their beliefs their identity and eventually the culture of that the business they run an associated point here hari and you make this point in the book as well which is that a lot of founders um you know they're also evolving along with their organizations they are young their life experiences are evolving with the organizations that they found um so therefore what's the role of you know the external ecosystem like the investors for instance or mentors um, who help founders right so what role do they play in advising them on areas uh, especially related to culture and do you see that happening a lot my own sense is that uh, investors have very little role to play in advising you know founders about culture because mostly they don't get it very few investors have been uh, you know operators who have built and run companies and unless you built and run companies uh, culture is not something you deeply understand so i would say mentors do have a role to play so smart founders begin to intuitively understand culture but i think it'll be helpful if they talk to a few people who are seasoned who understand this a little better to you know for themselves to get their own to improve their own understanding of culture and know how to make it work for them so i think um, in summary investors have little or no role to play and i think mentors uh, can actually help founders get a better understanding there is a fascinating chapter uh, hari uh, in the book called organizational dna which i read with a lot of interest and i would like to spend some time talking about some of the points that you've made in that chapter which mm-hmm. is um one is you begin with talking about this uh, this concept of the invisible hand um applied in economics and of course how it applies to uh, an organizational setup in the context of culture so yes. can you can you talk to uh, talk to that a little bit about what does it mean to have uh, to to view culture as an invisible hand and what does it mean if you just go back to adam smith uh, invisible hand this was used in the context of a free market he calls the free market an invisible hand because you know every day millions of economic transactions are happening even within the confines of a city you know products are being moved around moved around to areas where there is demand pricing is being determined automatically no centralized planning agency is telling you know every store or every you know distributor to you know figure out or advising them where the demand is or how things should be priced they figure out based on some of these signals and uh, this, uh, that analogy i've used because it's a very powerful analogy when it comes to understanding culture because culture is somewhat like a free market which is uh, nobody really knows how it works nobody you know is saying we should do this we shouldn't do this market is quietly sending signals culture is also quietly sending signals it's the invisible hand which is telling people how to behave what works what does not work what kind of questions to ask what kind of questions not to ask you know what kind of answers to expect when you ask people questions and you know what are the kind of people we should reward what behaviors are good what behaviors are not good all of this is being communicated in a very silent manner it's not documented anywhere and there's no one telling anybody so people are just observing everyone around them and based on what those signals are they are determining their own actions 
so culture actually you know if um, used really well can accelerate uh, you know decision making can accelerate uh, the journey of a startup because people then don't have to always keep asking others what is right and what is wrong the cultural signals are there and if reinforced over a period of time people quickly figure out what is the right ways of doing things and what is the right things to do and one other point that you make hari is um, conceptually you know it's it's uh, it's simple to someone to create a playbook and ensuring that uh, you know culture is is put out there and told to employees or at least communicated but to get it deeply embedded in an organization um, and to really execute on culture right i think that's the point that you make that it's not as simple it's it's um, it's difficult and it requires some effort uh, can you also talk to that a little bit why is that and uh, you know what does it take to actually make culture come alive in an organizational setup i think the prerequisite for making culture embedding culture deeply in an organization is just one thing which is uh, you know a set of leaders of the company and in startups early stage startup is the founders if it's a much bigger company much bigger startup then it's founders plus a few key you know in management team members so it is what these individuals do every day the kind of behaviors they demonstrate every day is what determines culture it is not what you say you can say whatever you want but people really don't care so ultimately you need to just walk the talk what you say matters do matters you know far far more than what you ever say so i would say that's the only way in which you can drive and embed culture deeply in the organization and i also add here that you can accelerate this a little bit by good storytelling and some founders and ceos are very good storytellers but you don't have to be an awesome storyteller unless I mean, I mean, as long as you, I would say, you demonstrate the right behaviors, you know, with intensity every day. But being a good storyteller actually accelerates the communication process. So one CEO that I am familiar with was Chris Kanakratne, who ran this company called Vertuza. He was an amazing storyteller. Through storytelling, he was able to, you know, embed and drive culture deeply across this global company. So I think storytelling is another component. The other last component is. you know having some form of minimal documentation uh, where you are people across the company are able to use those standard documents to be able to communicate culture because as the company scales you cannot rely on someone's understanding to be able to communicate something accurately so it's helpful to have some degree of documentation some degree of in your role what kind of behaviors would indicate that you are a culture carrier calling those behaviors out also is helpful in these documents one other point that you make in the same chapter is uh, true representation of culture is the tacit stuff the uh, which i think you also adhered to um and one of the things that you mention is is rewards and recognition or even simple acknowledgments or in the way that people uh, you, you encourage certain positive behaviors in others and it's not just about artifacts and not just about espoused values um like you mention um right any uh, anything to add there hari with respect to uh, encouraging the right set of behaviors through um uh, you know tools like rewards and recognition or even acknowledgments yeah i think uh, you know uh, we don't even have to go down this path of formal tools formal you know rewards recognition i think every day body language every day in meetings what you say what you appreciate what you acknowledge i think they are far more important and there are hundreds of these opportunities every day for all leaders to be able to demonstrate what really matters and there are of course some moments of truth and those moments of truth are very very powerful in terms of communicating culture for example you know there is this movie chakde all of us at least in india have watched this movie in that uh, movie in the second match between india and england 
Preeti Sabarwal actually takes the ball from the India half, dribbles every English player and ends up scoring a goal. Um, there is Komal Chautala close to the English goal who's asking Preeti right from the beginning, pass Kar Preeti. But Preeti doesn't pass. She just dribbles everyone and scores a goal. And when, you know, they all return, uh, Shah Rukh Khan, the coach, uh, is smiling at everyone, patting everyone on the back, saying, well played. And Preeti thinks, you know what, um, I've scored a goal. He's going to be so happy, excited with me. But when she comes, he just turns his eyes away. And in that moment of truth, he has communicated to her and the rest of the team, you know, that, uh, you know, scoring a goal does not matter. Scoring, passing to the person who is best placed to score that goal is what matters. So uh, he's been able to communicate in that moment that collaboration and teamwork is very important. Otherwise, you can have, you know, documents about teamwork is important. This is important. That's important. But if Shah Rukh Khan had appreciated her at that moment, yeah. all the documents have been, would have been worthless. So I think these moments of truth also have to be leveraged very, very powerfully. And smart leaders know how to leverage these moments well. Very interesting. Um, I think it's a good point also for my uh, segue into my next question, Hari, um, which is, uh, you know, again, a point that you make in the book, which is, uh, again, firstly, no culture is good or bad, right or wrong. But you also give the subtle differentiation between an aggressive culture, uh, like an Amazon, I think that's the example that you give, vis-a-vis, -vis, uh, you know, a soft culture or a collaborative culture. And I think the example that you quote there is Big Basket, um, right? So do you also want to talk a little bit about how that plays out and therefore, um, you know, what should we keep in mind when we think about cultures in that construct of aggressive versus uh, probably collaborative or soft? Yeah. So let me just give you an analogy that will help you understand this uh, a little better. So take two individuals. One is a very quick decision maker, looks at whatever data is available, but will not wait for, you know, a lot of data to be available. Is able to take quick decisions, agile, able to move, you know, progress, make progress rapidly. Second person is somebody who is more thoughtful in decision making, looks at more data, consults a few people and takes a thoughtful decision. Now, both of these are different styles and both of these are good styles in their own way. Now, each of the style risks going to the other extreme and reaching a point where it becomes dysfunctional. So, for example, if you're a quick decision maker, but ignore some basic facts and you have certain biases because of which you are not able to make the right decision, then it could hinder progress. Similarly, somebody who's a thoughtful decision maker could sit on a decision and look at, you know, infinite amount of data, get paralyzed in the process and never take a decision at all. So the styles in themselves are perfectly okay. But you know what? They can degenerate into their respective negative aspects. The negative aspects of those styles after some time could begin to manifest. So, for example, Amazon is an aggressive culture. It could tend to become toxic over some time, for example, using, you know, languages which is inappropriate, hiring and firing people. So it could go to the other extreme. Similarly, a, a company like Big Basket, which encourages collaboration and where you can never be fired or rarely be fired for non-performance could, you know, degenerate into a situation where there's a culture of non-performance. Everybody is relaxed, lax, not taking goals seriously. So the styles in themselves are not bad. But each of them could degenerate and the organization has to watch whether they are on the positive sides of those styles or are degenerating to the negative sides of those styles. 
that that's that's great uh, hari and a point that comes to mind is the the concept of social norms right and the way that what's uh, uh, you know the way that we do things here and we should keep a watch on how things evolve because culture is also constantly changing uh, yeah. and does it tip over to the other extreme or does it stay the way that we want to i think that's also a leadership uh, leadership needs to have a touch on the pulse of the organization from the culture perspective to find out that you know that is the case indeed and it's not tipping over on the other side one other example i want to touch upon again which you mentioned in the book hari is uh, how dc was unable to pivot when when ibm came into the fore uh, back in the day you know dc always created computers for the smart users quote and quote smart users but when uh, um, ibm started creating uh, you know computers for the quote and quote dumb users or the everyday user uh, dc was unable to make changes and uh, you know a determinant of that as you mentioned in the book is is because the culture in um dc did not allow them to do so and therefore it was uh, you know later on acquired by compaq um could you talk a little to this what, what the insight that i got from there was this concept of organizational self awareness and how you need to know who you are as an organization and be able to pivot and change and that also requires you to um you know move in the direction that you want to could you could you talk a little to that yeah so if you just take the analogy from evolution of life on this planet you know sometimes what happens is that when external conditions change very rapidly some life forms which thrived in an earlier era are not able to cope up and they perish whereas some of the organizations which are more suitable for the change that has happened will thrive and survive so the same thing is true for organizations as well so deck did really well in a situation where they were building computers for the smart users smart user market was big enough and they were thriving because they had created a culture where people could innovate there were no hierarchy innovations were tested by the market and not by individuals within the company so it was an amazing culture whereas to build a commodity product like a pc where you are building a product for the mass market you need a very different approach and this approach and culture that deck had was just not suitable what was needed for creating a mass product product for the mass market was discipline hierarchy quick decision making process orientation rather than individual innovation so deck just could not cope up in an environment where these traits were required so if you are deeply in one you know particular style when the circumstances change that style may not be effective any longer and it's not very easy for an individual or a company to completely change their style which defined them so far so for example if i am a person who is good at number crunching amazingly good at number crunching and i hate going and talking to new people for instance if i am thrown into a sales job where i have to go and hunt for deals i am going to die it's as simple as that and vice versa if i am good at you know hunting new deals and if you put me into a job where i need to crunch numbers and look at analytics i will not survive very difficult for me to cope some may cope but most people can't so i think that's really what happened with uh, digital uh, which could not cope with the ibm onslaught you touched upon this next point that i want to ask you hari which is the role of leadership uh, and not just the founders and you mentioned in the book that the role of the top 5 to 10 leaders uh, is is what um, you know drives culture in an organization therefore leadership behavior becomes very very crucial um it's it's a very important point and i want to kind of bring that back what i want to ask you hari is why is it that important and uh, you know how does it affect the culture of an organization as i said uh, right at the beginning zubu ultimately to me culture is driven by behaviors of those 5 to 15 leaders 
and what do they display every day what do they value what do they you know say is acceptable not acceptable what do they you know what kind of people they like for example in some um, company asking questions of management is not appreciated is not considered good whereas some of the startups if you don't ask questions of management you are considered a person who doesn't have an independent point of view and you are looked down upon so two different cultures so but and that's communicated very clearly in in those respective organizations mm. so if you're quiet in a meeting and if you're just saying yes yes you will be corner and say let's hear what you think about this this is what we've said but i want to listen to what you think about it yeah. whereas if you speak up in a company where this is not appreciated probably you know you may not be invited for subsequent meetings so i think therefore behavior of leaders is what determines culture there's nothing else really culture is about what leaders do every day when organizations scale and specifically the point about um when organization scales across geographical boundaries um right how do uh, founders and leaders make sure that culture is also transported effectively into those um, new geographies and what do you think uh, you know leaders can do to make make sure that this happens well the best way to you know transfer culture to a new location is through having people so you have to have a couple of individuals who are culture bearers torch bearers from your existing organizations to go and start up in that location or in that country and it could be in various roles it could be the role of a country head the new city head or whatever so i think if a key leader or key couple of key leaders are moved from the existing organization who are considered you know torch bearers i think they will be able to create the right culture in those new locations but expecting somebody who does not understand the culture from outside to come in you know start a new country city and expect them to create the culture with the same degree of passion and intensity that you have felt is not very easy so i think the best way is only by moving a few key people understood interesting and there is a trade off there because you want the culture to be transported into the new geographies the person yeah. who is in the organization understands that um that better makes sense yeah. um i want to um, pivot a little now um, ari to this uh, you know other concept that you also mentioned in the book which is about uh, human capital the 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 importance of human capital and how um, you know again very uh, i found it very insightful is that uh, founder competence when it comes to things like um you know other areas such as customer or product or execution technology these these are where founders at least the successful founders shine really well um but when it comes to human capital that that can become an achilles heel because not many founders understand uh, that that area very well so if we can talk a little bit uh, to that hari and why is that and what what is it that founders can do uh, to be able to address that uh, that area Yeah. So honestly, um, you know, most founders companies that are set up are set up around a great product or a great uh, technology, and uh, most founders are young. So human capital is something that you normally learn with age. It's not very easy to pick up every nuance of uh, you know people at a very young age. Some of these insights invariably require you to spend some more years on this planet to be able to learn. and that's the reason why you know you find that uh, you know in our uh, cases also sometimes uh, in our families you might find people who are older than us but not formally educated understand human capital challenges far better than us at when we were young so i think you know some of this comes with age and therefore it's not very easy but smart founders begin to figure a few things out but in the process of figuring a few things out they also get a few things wrong and that is the danger 
in the process, which is trying to figure out everything on your own and you get a few key things wrong and you are you know done for. So I think it's helpful for uh, you know founders, especially young founders whose organizations are scaling rapidly where human capital challenges are becoming more and more complex every day. They should uh, talk to people who've seen this before. They should talk to other founders who built and scaled companies for insights. And that's the reason why founders should be speaking to other founders on a regular basis. Could be founders their age, founders who are older and have built and scaled companies, could be whatever. So these conversations are very essential to learning. It, it just cannot be you learning all by yourself. When we talk about culture, we typically don't touch upon the hiring process. We, we think we feel that hiring is separate. Um, but it's it's so uh, it's so integral to I, I think that culture starts with the hiring process and even before. Um, so uh, could you also talk a little to that, um, Hari? So and again, you, one of the nuances that you speak uh, to in the book is that the assimilation of lateral hires and making sure that you know they they gel well with homegrown rock stars and talent and ensuring there is no conflict. That part is super critical, um, right? And that's uh, again that's marrying hiring with culture. Um, so how do how do founders and um, you know folks who are getting people in from the outside do this well? Um, Hari, what's your view? Yeah, so I think uh, one of the biggest uh, you know critical success factors for scaling companies is their ability to get uh, people that they hire laterally at a senior level to work seamlessly and work very well collaboratively with those who've been those internal rock stars who brought the startup to where it is today. So I think um, hiring, therefore, is very, very critical. And uh, it's very important to pe- get people who are a culture, good culture fits. And secondly, people who can execute well, who can you know roll up the sleeves and get things done. Because normally what is what founders believe is that those who have worked in large companies are automatically good choices for my scaling startup. And it's not necessarily true because what it takes to you know, work or operate in a scale environment is very different from what it takes to build for scale. What you need to hire for is the ability to build for scale. And 80 to 90 percent of the people who worked in a scale environment just cannot build for scale. They've lost the ability to roll up sleeves, get things done, start from first principles and develop those ideas and take them and install processes and, you know, all those things because they work well if everything is in place. So I think that's very important to determine when you are hiring lateral hires because, if these folk cannot execute well, your internal rock stars are not going to respect them. So they will respect them only if these guys bring a certain set of strengths, which the startup has valued so far. So if they, st- they don't bring those strengths, then they will not be respected. In addition to val- strengths that have been valued so far, they should also bring an additional set of strengths that this company does not have, that the startup does not have. That's when the lateral hire becomes extremely successful. Demonstrate what it has taken to succeed so far. And I have that. In addition, I bring a certain set of skills which will help scale this company. I think those uh, aspects are very critical to look for when you hire people laterally. If you miss this out and just hire people from larger companies because they speak well, you know, because uh, they're very articulate uh, and they tell you all the right things, then you would have made a big mistake. And for me, you know, if uh, uh, when I interview a candidate, it's very important for the candidate to be able to tell me what are the good things that, uh, you know, this startup has done. What is it that he probably admires the most or she admires the most? And what is it that, uh, you know, she brings to the table? So I think those kind of uh, and ability to say, for example, in the entire interaction, oh, this is something I really don't know much about. 
So being able to honestly say that is again an important um, element because lateral hires typically come with a view that, you know, I know everything. And you know what, when I come, this startup should be so privileged to be interviewing me or talking to me. So, and therefore they will never say no. They will say, I know everything kind of, but it's very important for me if I can, uh, that a candidate at some point of time is easily able to say, I don't know, or I just learned this. Oh, I really never did this before. I never thought about it this way. Okay. Uh, another, again, associated point that you make, Hari, in the book is um, hiring for homogeneity versus diversity. Um, and because the founder team is uh, is typically homogeneous, they've known each other for a while. So there are set ways of thinking and doing. Um, whereas what's the trade-off between going for diversity versus uh, sticking to uh, homogeneity, um, Hari? I think, you know, diversity and homogeneity itself is a bit of a complex thing. It needs to be clarified a little bit. So let me start from there. So you could be diverse at one level, but you could be very homogeneous at a more fundamental level. Mm. So, for example, the way you treat people, you could completely agree on that treating people with respect. But you could be slightly different, have diverse opinions on how to deal with non-performers, for example. Or So you could have some commonalities at a fundamental level. So I would say look for some commonalities at a fundamental level and those i would call out separately as values rather than elements of culture values can be for example commitment to being very honest commitment to being transparent humility for example is a very fundamental value so look for those alignment in those values but beyond that you know you can get people who have a different set of life experiences which make them believe that there are different ways of doing things so that kind of diversity is, I think, very helpful. But even that kind of diversity at a very early stage may slow down decision making. So at a very early stage, to me, it's a bit okay, I think, to have a bunch of people who think alike, uh, who don't have too many diverse points of view, but have strong beliefs on a certain set of things. But I think as you scale, as you become much bigger, diversity is uh, critical. It's make or break. Ability to work with people who are different from you, different from you is very, very important. That's a skill that founders need to, you know, learn and develop as they grow. Working with people like me to working with people who are different from me. Interesting. So foundational values are, have to be rock solid and then you build on top of that to encourage uh, multiple perspectives. Yeah. I like that. Um, thanks, Hari. Um, uh, Hari, I want to, again, uh, shift focus a little bit um, and talk um, about Big Basket because it, it's an organization that you work with deeply and were associated with deeply. Um, if we can unpack a little bit about the culture at Big Basket. So the strongest elements of Big Basket culture are a couple of things. Commitment to doing the right things in most situations. Treating people well and treating people with respect. Deep commitment to customers and doing what is right for them. Deep commitment to being grounded and not being carried away by fads and doing things just because they're fashionable or just because the world at large is uh, thinking at the moment that they're right. So being able to stick to doing what you deeply believe is right and not being carried away by, you know, social media or what uh, the media world at large is paying attention to. So I think those are the strengths of Big Bus, amazing strengths, being very grounded, deep commitment to doing the right things always. Very, very passionate about, uh, you know, customers. So, uh, yeah, these are the... I, I, Big Basket is not a particularly innovative company. Um, I mean, uh, delivering grocery in itself is no great innovation, right? Grocery was always there. It was there in physical stores. All that you did was leveraging technology to be able to deliver it uh, to homes. And uh, delivering it consistently over millions of orders is a type of innovation, one can argue. 
because you know uh, doing th- that over such a large number of transactions is not easy so it is terrific execution using process technology audits um, training a combination of all of these it's some form of innovation but it's not creating new materials that can change this planet or you know help us fly into space or even uh, help us cut down less number of trees so from that perspective i don't consider it an innovation company it's a great execution company commitment to deep human values doing the right things always good business practices governance all those are great is there a trade off uh, when it comes to um, culture hari because uh, again it it came up in our conversation already so i'm trying to um, you know understand is it that uh, so for example you you mentioned that in big basket there is this maniacal focus on customer uh, customer centricity but it it does uh, make you know it does make sense for the organization to give away a few other elements of culture as a result of that which is for example uh, you know not trying to innovate all the time and trying to be first all the time uh, to the market so um, as organizations scale uh, do founders have to keep this in mind and not try to do too many things with their culture so that they need to be successful yeah not do too many things with culture may not be the right phrase not venture into too many initiatives simultaneously i would say mm. but this again depends upon i said right at the beginning individual personalities and life experiences so for example big basket life experiences have been such that you know be conservative be grounded you know stick to one or two things that you're really good at in strategy is called the fox and the hedgehog strategy mm. so big basket clear to me clearly to me is a hedgehog which is does one thing amazingly well ola is a company for example that tries to do many things but my personal bias is to be that hedgehog which is do that one thing really well and whatever i have little i've understood little of uh, you know organizational history you know corporate history in this world i just feel that uh, being able to do that one thing right based on your deep strengths and beliefs is more important than you know trying all stuff everything i'm through with my questions hari thank you so much for uh, spending the time with me no oh, thank you subo thanks a lot thanks it i enjoyed doing it being a hedgehog and not a fox when to go for diversity versus homogeneity in hiring how can lateral hires get better integrated with internal rock stars aggressive versus soft cultures the invisible hand analogy applied to culture the takeaways from this conversation are just far too many until next time i hope this episode inspires you to architect the most appropriate culture for your work context regardless of whether you work in a startup or in a large organization